Number six, the inconsistent accounts. Argument, they read like different people's experiences of the same event, not like a conscious effort by a group to make something up. So somewhat agree with this. So that's great, wonderful. Because they don't read like a bunch of people making a conscious effort together to make something up. They read like different authors who did not witness the events using other sources to make their own theological points. Again, it's Mark and priority. Matthew and Luke used Mark and they changed it in ways that suggested that they were trying to make something out of their own theological points. They were making their own theological points using this information they did not witness. Of course, again, none of the Gospels had these names historically. They started in the second century. That's when those names were added to those particular Gospels. They're not, I know church tradition wants to say that, oh, these are the, it was, it was his physician and, and <laughs> else. They're not. These were added later, uh, significantly later, and the earliest church members didn't actually reference them as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, they actually just referenced them, we know, because they had quotes from them. But no, the inconsistent accounts don't help in any way demonstrate that there was a resurrection. Uh, inconsistencies like the other gospels suggesting that Jesus was crucified after the Passover meal, and John suggesting that Jesus was crucified as the Passover lamb. That was the whole point, is a theological point. It's using the information in such a way as to make your own point. It's not making sure that you're recording something as a historical event. That's not at all anywhere near what happened. They're definitely inconsistent, occasionally just plain contradictory. They have a lot of stupid things in them, and Matthew and Luke use huge tracks of Mark, and Mark is based heavily on the Homeric epics, uh, among other writings, especially from Judaism, that they just kind of plug in there to make Jesus seem like, oh, he's the he's the new he's the new messiah and look at all these prophecies and now we're fulfilling these prophecies he's riding on a donkey look at that how'd that happen it's nonsense okay moving on number seven <laughs> the eyewitnesses oh my gosh there were eyewitnesses you're kidding me this might just cement it right here and we don't have to keep going anymore i'll turn into a christian the eyewitnesses argument there were 500 witnesses eyewitnesses to the resurrection okay so the, my response to that there was just a number a guy made up that there were 500 witnesses none of them are identified None of them give statements. None of them are described as having, this is what they saw. This is what they thought. This is what happened regarding it. There's just a, a flat number, exactly 500, not 499, not 501, but exactly 500 witnesses. Wouldn't this be great if we could use this in court? I'm sorry, you don't believe that this happened? No, but there were a thousand witnesses to it. A thousand of them. And the judge says, you're serious? A thousand? Yes, a thousand witnesses. Can you name any of them? No, that's all right. Bam, bang the gavel. No, it's it's proven. Of course not. That's absolutely ridiculous from 2,000 years ago that 500 unnamed witnesses that we don't know anything about, that we can't question or talk to, they saw it. You, you ever heard of the miracle in Fatima, Portugal? So apparently, the sun went zigzagging in the sky and came cascading to the ground in Fatima, Portugal. It was this incredible miracle. And it had just rained prior to this and it just, it didn't hurt anybody, but it just dried up because everybody was soaked. It just dried it up, you know. Uh, so this had 500 witnesses, right? So this zigzagging of the sun and the sun cascading toward the earth, it, it happened in Portugal. It was much more recent. And guess how many witnesses they had? 50,000 witnesses. There were 50,000 people who saw this. Bam, proven, right? No! Oh, good God, no, of course not.
It's utter nonsense. You don't get to just claim <laughs> there are 500 witnesses. Don't identify any of them and say that it's proven. This is the evidence that they use. I mean, this is, this isn't even like I'm trying to prove that Jesus existed. This is just, this is I'm trying to prove that a ridiculous, miraculous thing that we've never observed in any other context happened. We've observed people existing. <laughs> so just proving that would be virtually impossible. I mean, it's not even virtually impossible. It's absolutely impossible, based on any evidentiary standard that makes any sense whatsoever, that this would even prove that Jesus existed. Not even a miracle, just existed. And they're trying to prove a miracle with this. That's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Non-Christian historical accounts. Okay, the best, this is the best argument, this is the best area that we have to try to demonstrate that this actually happened. Now, there should be overwhelming evidence, because what, what did Hume say? He talked about how, okay, if you want to try to prove a miracle, something that's absolutely ridiculous like this, then you you need evidence that is so strong that it would be more miraculous that the evidence is wrong than that the thing did not happen. So we need evidence so overwhelmingly incredible that it would be a miracle for it to be wrong. So what do we have? Non-Christian historical accounts. What sources do we have? We've got Josephus. Josephus has two passages. Scholars are virtually certain at least one is a partial or complete interpolation. It's not cited by early church leaders. It's just plugged in. It doesn't make sense in the flow of the narrative that he's talking about. He has no sources cited, and the only thing it does is evidence the existence of an oral tradition that's related to Christians. That's all it does. That's all you've got from that. So the second one, the more likely, the one that's more likely to have been originally written by Josephus, it has a reference to James, the brother of Jesus. So that's relatively decent evidence for what it is, <laughs> for what we've got, <laughs> for the existence of Christ at least. But again, it's it's a vague reference to just James' brother of Jesus. There's a little chunk after that says, him called Christ. That's what it says. This one's much more complicated. There's a whole bunch of stuff to go into. There's a lot of reason to believe that the him called Christ was actually a, a marginal note that was added into the textbook. Anyway, so at best, it's it helps support a case for a historical Jesus, although incredibly weakly, and has virtually no weight or power when you're talking about whether a resurrection, a resurrection happened to Jesus, apart from just helping to show by 0.0001% that Jesus might have existed or been historical. So virtually nothing helpful from Josephus. Josephus also, he uh, mentioned another Jesus as well, who was around the time, who was preaching a whole bunch of rebellious stuff, who was, uh, he wasn't crucified, but he was killed. Uh, it was Jesus Benanius. I think it was Jesus Benanius. Uh, I hope I'm remembering that correctly. But anyway, so we've got Tacitus. So Tacitus, he's uh, from the early second century, uh, by the way. And again, it only evidences the existence of an oral tradition related to Christians. You can't take either one of those and say the, that they were doing something other than just reading the sources that we have now. Uh, you can't establish that. So they don't do like Josephus or Tacitus. You can't take those and do anything more than that. But uh, that's it's the best we've got. So we've got to work with what we've got. So it only evidences some, at least an oral tradition and likely a written tradition that he had access to at some point. But again, early church Christian church leaders did not cite Tacitus when it would have made perfect sense for them to do this. And it could have been because they didn't know about it, but it's highly unlikely. <laughs> 
<laughs> that, that if there was something like this that was out there that eventually made it to today, that none of the early church leaders would have known about it and been able to, to reference it. Uh, this particular passage, it, it says Christians with an E as opposed to Christians. There's a, some weird stuff related to that and that gets really complicated too. I see like Bart Ehrman, I know, what's his name? Dr. Richard Carrier. Richard Carrier talks about it a lot in his book, but it gets it's not worth going into the details about Christians versus Christians here but anyway so there were there were also no other stories because he talks about Tacitus talks about the persecution that Nero levied against Christians blaming them for the fire that happened um, that everybody believes that Nero actually started and then needed a scapegoat ironically <laughs> But there were no other stories about Nero persecuting Christians because of the fire. Oh, and one of the best <laughs> things about this is that the years of Christ's ministry, it, it was like, uh, you know, 29 to 31 or something like that. The years that Christ would have been active in the annals are actually removed from every copy that we have from Tacitus's annals. So <laughs> that's a coincidence. Oh my gosh. All right. <laughs> Uh, you, I mean, since the church had a whole hell of a lot of power and these survived, the other books survived, it doesn't make sense that they would have excised those years if it had a whole bunch of stuff about Jesus or something like that. It only makes sense that they were trying to get rid of that because it was an embarrassment because there was no mention of Jesus. But anyway, the, the earliest versions that we have of the annals are from the earliest, uh, the 11th century. So it's like, this is a long time after all this stuff was supposed to have happened. And if I'm wrong on any of this scholarship, please let me know. But whatever the case, I mean, that is so shockingly weak. It would be the best source because they would be neutral third-party sources that would, would be able to corroborate that Jesus was right to, resurrected from the dead, and they're absolutely horrendous. It's the best you've got, and they're absolutely horrendous. So, number nine is barely an argument. It's Jesus didn't die again. What? Are you how do you know that? Uh, who knows? It's just the Gospels say that he... <laughs> <laughs> that he ascended back up into heaven instead of dying again. No, you don't know that. You're just asserting that. That's not even an argument. Number 10 is the rise of historical religion. So the argument is it's not not the apostles who did it. It was because of the resurrection experience of the early Christians that did it. And of course, that's a shockingly stupid argument. Not to say that the writer's a shockingly stupid person. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they are because probably, they probably know some things about things uh, somewhere. I'm not going to put that on them. But this is a stupid argument because no person that we have ever heard from has actually witnessed the resurrection or experienced the resurrection or anything like that. No person, nobody who ever wrote anything that we have today ever witnessed the resurrection and yet we've got billions, we've got, you know, 1.5 or how many, or at least a billion Christians in the world. So literally everybody who's a Christian... <laughs> is evidence against this argument because they didn't have to experience the resurrection they just heard about it and that was sufficient for them to be it so that's that's enough that's enough for for them holy mother so i would lab it but this is just so pointless and stupid this is barely an argument again not the person not the person you're fine <laughs> it's just the argument is so stupid i i can't even fathom that any person is so dishonest and that is meant at you i'll call somebody dishonest not stupid though because people are too complex uh, i mean dishonest probably unfair too. I'm sure you're honest in very many things, but in this, this is so incredibly dishonest. Like, if people want to have some kind of integrity, if you want to claim that there's some kind of a moral undergirding to being Christian and it, it forces you to be <laughs> self-effacing and be honest with other people, then there's no way that you can use this as an argument to try to say that there is very strong evidence for a resurrection. I mean, your standard for evidence must be so unbelievably weak that it doesn't matter 
matter who says anything to you. If somebody pops in right now and says, I was abducted by aliens and your whole family, they're just aliens, actually. You know, they have all been lying to your whole life. You have to say, oh, I accept that. I'm not going to argue against that in any way. It must be true. Are you kidding me? Have some integrity. Please have some integrity about how weak this evidence is for something that is extraordinary and doesn't even bother to have anywhere near ordinary evidence for it. I mean, if it was on a scale of zero to 100%, you know, related to the evidence that supports it, we would be at 0.0000003%. I give it three because of the Trinity. <laughs> So that's where we'd be for the evidence that is needed to support this proposition. So if you're going to believe it, you're going to believe it. It's ridiculous. But if you're going to believe it, at least be honest about what you're trying to argue here. So that's it. That's me. Last coffee house. I'm out. All right. Thanks. <laughs>